This is the Mended Paths Podcast with Chadwick Hayward, episode number eight. Welcome to MendedPaths.com. Let's get back to bedtime. Welcome, Pathmenders. Thank you so much for joining me for the eighth episode of the Mended Paths Podcast. Today, I'm so lucky to be joined by Dr. Ruth Heydrich. Not only did she overcome a stage 4 cancer diagnosis, she did so while training and later competing in six Ironman triathlons. She has won over a thousand medals competing. She has authored four books. She's been featured on the Forks Over Knives documentary. She has just an amazing, incredible story. And I'm so grateful to have the chance to talk to her and bring her story to you. Well, hello, Dr. Ruth. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor. Well, I'm honored as well. It's it's great to be able to give this message of, of vital health information. And you do such a good job of it. Your story is incredible, but we'll we'll get to that in a moment here. Back when you were 46, you considered yourself to be a very healthy person. Like I think you'd ran 14 marathons up until that point. Can you tell us a little bit about what was going on? Yeah, my life really at age 46, I was at the peak of my career. As a matter of fact, I had just been selected for a career enhancement program. Um, I worked for the U.S. Air Force. I'm an American. And uh, it, this was back in the 70s when women were starting to exert themselves in the management field. And I was on the forefront of that because I had the education. I already had a master's degree and I was working on my Ph.D. Okay. So that put me right in, in front of the, all the candidates to be selected for an upgrade for the highest levels of the Department of Defense and the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. So my career was taking off. My two kids had both graduated from college and they were launched in their careers. And I had discovered running 14 years prior after reading a book by Dr. Kenneth Cooper called Aerobics. Back in 1968, no one had heard of that word because he had just made it up. So when I walked by a book stand and I saw the word, I thought, gee, I wonder what that is. So I picked it up, thumbed through it, and it was about exercise and how it helped the body all the way head to toe and all parts in between. So I bought it and read it through one sitting, which is easy because it's a lot of charts and graphs. (laughs) (laughs) And the next morning I went out for a run Um, I actually ran a half mile down my street, turned around and the other half mile back and thought, wow, this is incredible. (laughs) What fun it is. And and so I thought I'll do it then tomorrow morning and the next morning and the next morning. And so since 1968, I have been a daily runner. And because I started out with a 10K race and then a half marathon and then doing marathons, And I thought I was eating the perfect diet. Back in 1952, when I was a freshman in college, I took a nutrition course. Okay. You know what what they taught me. Yeah. (laughs) Animal protein is necessary. It's the only quote unquote complete protein. You need lots of dairy for the calcium. And so this is pretty much what I ate. Um, red meat wasn't discussed then. This kind of came along 
in the late 60s where they started saying red meat is is not as good for you as mm. chicken and fish. Yeah. So, uh, and I thought as long as you took the skin off the chicken, you were okay. So in 46, I was really pretty healthy. Now, it was at that time I discovered a lump in my breast. Oh, dear. And I went to a doctor right at at that time. And he said, well, let's do a mammogram. He said, you're awful young. I really don't think it's anything to worry about. And the mammogram came back negative. It did show fibrocystic breast disease, which we now know is due to too much estrogen. And that's from eating animal foods. Yeah. So he said, because it's negative, uh, come back next year and, and we'll, we'll just check on it again. Well, the next time I was in his, this is military medicine, so you don't ever see the same doctor. Yeah. And this doctor looked at me on the exam table and started checking the lump. I looked down and the thing stood up like a golf ball on top of my breast. It was like it had doubled overnight, which, you know, with doubling times, it, it may well have. And it had been there. Uh, Dr. John McDougall, who I'll talk about in a minute, uh, had said that cancer uh, was there when you were 46. In fact, it was started probably eight to 10 years before. But of course, I didn't know it. Yeah, they say it takes a decade. Yep, yep. From one cancer cell doubling, and it depends on the doubling time, which determines how aggressive it is. Well, mine was fairly aggressive because... By the time they did the biopsy, uh, they did what they call an excisional biopsy, which means they don't fool around. They just go ahead, you know, no needle biopsy, no little piece of it. He just took the whole thing out. And I had insisted on staying awake for the surgery because I thought, I am so healthy. I want to know what's going on and I want to see for myself. That's incredible. Well, yeah, the doctor said, no, no, you don't want to watch this. I said, yes, I do. (laughs) So (laughs) he said, are you sure you can take it? And I said, I want to know what's happening down there. And in fact, getting ready for the surgery, the nurse starts to put the screen up in front like they do for surgery. And I said, no, 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 I'm going to watch this. Does your doctor know this? And I said, yes, he does. (laughs) So anyway, he got this thing finally cut out and it is big. You know, with what he tried to get, what they call clear margins, it was a lot bigger than a golf ball. Oh, wow. And he puts, he cuts it out and puts it on this little stainless steel table and takes a scalpel and cuts it in half and says, uh-oh. And I said, what do you mean, uh-oh? He'd forgotten I was awake. And he said, oh, well, mm, it's not good. He said, you see these little grains of sand? said, that's your body's attempt to wall off what may be cancer. Hmm. So anyway, he sews me back up, and um, they scheduled me to see an oncologist. Oh, they did a frozen section, and that's when they got the immediate diagnosis. And he said, we're going to have to do more surgery because it is actually larger than five centimeters. There were no clear margins. So I was scheduled for more surgery, which was a total mastectomy to take the whole breast because it had spread throughout there. It had spread to my bones, my liver, and one lung. Wow. So it was in between being scheduled from, from the surgeon to the oncologist. I had about 
two weeks to wait in between. And because I had taken time off from work, medical leave, I had some time and I just happened to be reading a newspaper and I saw this little three line ad wanted women with breast cancer to participate in diet research study. Dr. John McDougall and his phone number 262, which I recognize is a local Kailua phone number. Okay. I ran to the phone and dialed it. And guess who I'm talking to? <laughs> a doctor. You know, that never happens. Yeah. I sputtered and said, well, uh, um, um, this Dr. McDougall? And he said, yes. And I said, I have just been diagnosed with breast cancer. It's a large breast cancer, and they're scheduling me for chemo and radiation. He said, get your medical records. I want to talk to you. So the next day I'm in his office and he's going through my records and and said, you know, with a cholesterol of 236, you know, that's the American, which is different from the Canadian, 236, you are at as great a risk of dying of a heart attack as you are the breast cancer. Oh, wow. You know, that's the number one killer yeah. is heart disease. And I said, oh, wait just a minute now. I run marathons. I've been running for 14 years now. He, and this was before Jim Fix died of a heart attack. For those who don't remember who Jim Fix is, he wrote The Complete Book of Running, okay. which I digested from beginning to end, another book like aerobics. And it was really full of good advice on running bad advice on diet and it was the following year that he died of a heart attack while running so that was what launched my uh, association with dr mcdougall i spent the full two hours with him and he was showing me the research that had been done up to that date there were animal studies where they implanted cancerous tumors on the bellies of rats and half of them they fed a high fat diet and the other half a low fat diet the ones with the high fat the cancer just took off right through their body and the low fat the cancer shriveled up and fell off yeah there were epidemiological studies where he showed me the populations the ones that ate the most animal foods the highest fat diets had the highest rates of breast cancer And conversely, uh, those countries that eat mostly rice and potatoes and corn had the lowest rates of breast cancer. He said, my research is going to center on a diet of no animal foods and no oils, just 100% strict vegetarian. Were you sold on it right away? (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking chemo and radiation or change my diet? Come on, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I'm in. So as I'm driving home, I'm going to have to tell my then husband what I'm about to do. Uh, And I'm driving thinking, well, you know, I love oatmeal already. Instead (laughs) of putting milk on it, I'll just put some fruit on it. Yeah. And in terms of rice, um, living in Hawaii, of course, rice is very popular. It's all white rice. But he said, just get brown rice. And I thought, ah, oh, that's kind of like the whole wheat bread, which I already liked. Yeah. So I didn't figure it was going to be a major challenge to change my diet, just add more potatoes and all the fruits and vegetables. Well, the reception I got when I got home was, 
Oh, my God, you have fallen into the hands of a quack. This is crazy. Plus, my oncologist had already said diet has nothing to do with your getting cancer. Hmm. And so the the final (laughs) straw that broke this camel's back was I had given you credit for more intelligence than that. Boy, was that oh, an insult. Yeah. You know, I'm working on a PhD, for goodness sakes. And, you know. So you weren't getting support at home? No, not at all. But you did it anyway. Yep, I made the change. In fact, it's so funny. You open my refrigerator and you see half of it, all plants, <sighs> the other half steak, chicken, uh, butter, um, lobster, all the foods he liked. So anyway, I, I did it with the support of Dr. McDougall. And, uh, of course, most people didn't even know how to pronounce the word vegan at the time. But that's what it was, strict vegetarian. But it was also whole food, plant-based. No refined, processed foods. What happened was I kept on running. In fact, the morning of my surgery, this is in my book, A Race for Life. I knew that with, with that surgery that I just described that I might not be able to run every day that I might have to miss a day or two. I'm going to get a run in before my surgery. (laughs) So woke up at five o'clock. I knew they were going to take me to the operating room at seven. I thought I'll get an hour's run in between five and six. The halls were all dark. I got into running clothes and runners and tiptoed out the door of the hospital, ran an hour. And as I was coming back at six o'clock, I'm at the entrance, and guess who's walking up? My surgeon. <laughs> he says, what are you doing here? <laughs> I said, I knew I wasn't going to be able to keep on running. I wanted to get one last run in. He says, oh, my God. <laughs> so when I get up to the OR, he, he walks in, and he says, you know what this lady was doing this morning? <laughs> she was running on the hills of Tripler. You better give her some extra fluids because, <laughs> you know, you're not allowed to drink or eat anything before surgery. Yeah. So and they started an IV. And as I'm drifting off with the anesthetic, I'm saying, see, there's no problem with running the day of your surgery. So <laughs> it's and I was able to run uh, the following day. I think I might have had to miss one or two days. But um, that was part of what he- kept the anxiety and the upset and the insomnia, all of that at bay because I was running. And that is one of the best things. In fact, in my fourth book, Lifelong Running, I talk about all the benefits of running, which are many, many. Yeah. So the endorphins helped. and Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Then the next thing that happened, you know, I changed my diet. This was a week after the diagnosis and the surgery. And so besides reading newspapers, I was also watching a little television, which I never had time to do. That job, by the way, was not just a 40-hour week. With the military, it is more like a 60- or 70-hour week. You know, you you have exercises. You show up at 2 in the morning for deployments. I was sent to Korea, South Korea, because we were supporting them at the time. I was sent to Alaska, So it was a pretty exciting job, but demanding. Yeah. Uh, So I never watched television or read newspapers. But this one day, I just happened to turn it on. It was channel surfing. And I came across the ABC Wide World of Sports. The Ironman was happening right here in Hawaii. 
In fact, the, the swim is the Waikiki Roughwater Swim, 2.4 miles right off the Waikiki Beach. I can practically see it from my house. Oh, wow. And, you know, being raised in Hawaii, I knew I learned how to swim when I was three years old. I was a lifeguard in high school. Thought, oh, I can do that. <laughs> and then the next was 112-mile bike, and that was around the island of Oahu, 112 miles. That's where that distance came from. And I had an old rusty bike in the garage. <laughs> I thought, oh, I can get it out and, yeah, just go back to riding. And, of course, having run the Honolulu Marathon a bunch of times, that was the hardest part to my naive thinking. You know? <laughs> so I thought, Oh, but then I looked at these people. They were all, they're only 20 some odd in the, in these early uh, triathlon days. Okay. They were all young, all in their 20s. And here I'm now 47 years old thinking, you know, I'm practically menopausal. I'm an old lady. There's no way I can do something like this. And I thought, wait a minute. I just changed my diet. I'm going to beat this cancer. And what if this diet is so powerful, you can do an Ironman triathlon on it? You know, I've gotten so much static from my friends, other doctors, including the oncologist, family. Yeah. There was no support except for Dr. McDougall. And I thought, wow, this will make a splash. <laughs> you know, it's 47-year-old, 40, uh, probably almost 50, uh, does the Ironman triathlon on a vegan diet. So that was my goal. And, you know, that's incredible. It just lit a fire in me. I was just. You had something to prove. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy, did I ever. And Dr. McDougall um, kept saying, well, yeah, the diet's good. And the bone pain was disappearing. The liver enzymes normalized. And x-rays showed the tumor in my lung had encapsulated, just like those little sand grains. The body yep. walled it off. And how long was this? A couple of weeks. Oh, wow. So, I, yeah, by a month or two, all the signs were gone. And I felt stronger and had better endurance, fast recovery. And I was still running every day. And then I added the swimming and biking. Wow. So it was just, you know, almost magical the way things were falling into place. And after that first Ironman, which, by the way, was two years, so I was 49. Okay. And, and for a short time, the oldest female who've ever done it. Now, that's since been demolished. I think the next year there were several women in their 50s that were doing it. But we okay. were still definitely a minority, you know, us, yeah. us the older women. You were at the forefront. <laughs> yeah. And I did get the notice of Continental Airlines, and they wanted to sponsor me. And I'm thinking, how incredible is that? All these other triathletes are looking for sponsors. Yeah. And here's a big one coming to me saying, don't they have an Ironman in New Zealand? And I said, yes. What if we flew <laughs> you there to do it? And all you have to do, it won't cost you a thing. All you have to do is wear Continental Airlines on this wear that we'll provide for you. You know, Continental oh, wow. Airlines up and down the side of Asia. Yeah. And they interviewed me halfway through. And um, when they flew me back, they announced in the cabin, we have a, a very special lady with us, an Ironman triathlete. Because <laughs> this oh, wow. was, yeah, in the early 80s when triathlons were really just getting established. And so that was the year after your first triathlon. Yeah. And wow. 
And because it was so unusual in New Zealand, you know, there's only one newspaper in that whole country. It's a small country. Hmm. And it's called the New Zealand Herald. So the next morning, I wanted to see the results and to take them back to show that show Continental Airlines. Yeah. So I go to this little convenience store and there's a stack of newspapers there. And I see, you won't believe this, my picture, uh, almost eight by ten. As oh, wow. I just crossed the finish line <laughs> and the headline, across, front page, the headline across the top, Ruth, a woman of iron. I thought, oh, wow. my God, this is unbelievable. Yeah. The guy at the newsstand said, we save these papers for you. <laughs> so I take this back to Continental Airlines. I walk into Dennis's office and I throw this paper on his desk. He looks down at it and says, oh, my God. That's just incredible. What's up at me? Don't they have an Iron Man in Japan? <laughs> <laughs> I have done Kona in October. Common knowledge was you can do one of these a year because it's supposed to take so much out of you. Yeah. So in October, the full Iron Man, and this New Zealand was in March. Well, I knew the diet was working so well that I was going to recover fast enough to do the one in March. But when Dennis said Japan, I did some quick calculation. That's in August. <sighs> and I, I don't, you know, three Ironmans in one year. I, listen, dummy, what are they going to do if you don't finish? Fire you? So I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and kept right on with my training. Wow. And, of course, the same thing happens in Japan. I get all this publicity. And... The same, not quite the cover of the newspaper, because in Japan they have a lot of newspapers, and they're all in Japanese, kanji. Uh, but, um, well, the next day, Julie Moss and Scott Tinley, all the big names in the Iron Man at the time, were in Japan. And so I said the next day, let's, let's do some touristing. Uh, Nara, Kyoto is the ancient capital of Japan, and Nara is known as Deer Park, and, and I wanted to explore now that the Iron Man is behind me. They were all so sore and so tired, they had no interest in doing anything. They couldn't <laughs> walk up and down stairs. So I decided I'm going to take off on my own, go buy bus tickets, and I find myself on the bus to Deer Park. And it's a small bus, uh, but it's full of Japanese people. Yeah. And I've got about an hour's ride, and I'm looking, watching the scenery. And then, then I notice, folded up in the pocket of the seat in front of me, which is the pocket's facing me, is a newspaper. And, I, of course, all in Japanese. And I thought, maybe they've got some pictures of the Iron Man. Yeah. So I open it up and gasp. Oh, my God. And, of course, everybody in the bus looks at me. <laughs> and, uh, I, said, I pointed, uh, held it up and pointed, that's me, that's me, Iron Man, triathlon. <laughs> and the wow. man across the aisle said, I speak English. In fact, I'm the uh, English professor at Kyoto University. He said, here, let me read it. And he looks at it and looks at me, stands up the front of the bus and reads the story of oh, this wow. woman from Hawaii. Uh, is, I'm now 50 and does this, gets a first place in the age group. And, and I thought, I'm in a movie. This is just incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, wow. That's amazing. 
It it really is. And I thought, you know, with this these things happening, it the word ought to be out real soon and everybody's gonna go vegan. <laughs> no yeah. more killing of animals and and everybody's gonna be healthy. Another funny thing, after crossing the finish line of the Japan Ironman, it was almost all males, young Japanese males. Hmm. They all, guess what, light up cigarettes. In fact, when I was being interviewed, I was surrounded with smoke. I'm fanning the air. Ah, The smoke was thick. And I said to the interviewer, can we get out of here and go away from the smoke? And he said, sure, so we walk away. That's crazy. I I know. So I get back to see Dr. McDougall, and I told him about this. And he says, you know, what's amazing is lung cancer rates in Japan are extremely low, and it's because of their diet, mostly rice and vegetables. That's it. And I thought, this diet is even more powerful than I thought. You know, here are all these Japanese men. They almost all smoke. I think even today, a lot of them still do. Okay. And they don't get lung cancer. And that's because your immune system is so strong when you don't eat animals yeah. and oils. So. Wow. I was, I was going to ask you about your recovery time, like before <laughs> yeah. and after your switch, but that, oh, that oh, exemplifies it right there. Most immediate. And then, of course, I did the Kona in October again. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was really four in less than one calendar year. And about this time, Dr. McDougall is after me to write a book. He <laughs> was working on his first book, The McDougall Plan, yeah. which I'm looking at a copy of right now. And uh, in fact, I he asked me to look at the manuscript and see what I thought about it. And of course, I'm saying, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> he said, you know, I tell these women about breast cancer and how to prevent it or how to reverse it. And most of them don't listen to me. It's just too far out for them to believe. But they'll believe you. You need to write a book. And I said, Dr. McDougall, I don't have time. I'm too busy training. And he said, you've got to make the time. This is really important. So I see him about a month later. Have you started that book yet? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, um, he said, listen. Uh, and this is when computers were just getting started. Again, this is about 1980, late 80s. Okay. And so he had a computer, and I had an old Commodore, you know, a really ancient one. Yeah. And he said, there's some new software. And this was the beginning of the Word program. Okay. He said, meet me at this computer store, and I'll show you exactly what to do and how to get started. And so that's how he helped me write A Race for Life. And that title, I I just love when I finally settled on a title, A Race for Life. It's for life. For the rest of my life, I'm going to be racing. Yeah. Uh, we're all in a race for life because we don't want to die. Of course. And racing provided me with such motivation to keep up with my training, my exercise. It was just automatic. You know, I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to run, bike, and swim Yeah, for life. And life in, in terms of longevity, life in terms of energy, life in terms of, of vitality. Uh, it's the closest thing to anti-aging that I think we can come up with other than diet, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here I figured I've got the answer, diet and exercise. So that's been my mission for all these years and oh lantern books 
approached me. You know, like the sponsor Continental Airlines yeah. came to me. <laughs> a pub publisher comes to me. And so A Race for Life was originally self-published, but they took it over. They modified it and made me do a lot more work on it okay. and added a bunch of menu plans and recipes. And so they changed the title from A Race for Life, uh, The Amazing Story of, and I can't remember exactly what, a long subtitle. Okay. And when I turned 70, uh, Martin Rowe, who is the owner, publisher, uh, editor of, of Lantern Books, calls me from New York City. And he said, you know, we want you to write a book on senior fitness. <laughs> now that you're 70, <laughs> we think you are enough of an authority on senior fitness to write a book for us. And so I was splattered and thought, wow, yes, yes, yes. I had been giving talks about the top 10 killers. Yeah. And of course, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, arthritis, all of these diseases are diet related. Yeah. And I thought, what better idea than to put them in a book? So that was the origin of senior fitness. And then when I'm giving talks, people would say, well, what's wrong with skim milk? Or how, how do you cook your whatever? How much this and why? How do you cook without oil? I haven't had a bottle of oil in my kitchen for 34 years and I don't miss it at all. Uh, in fact, when I found out what dairy does to our hormone levels, yeah. it turns me psychologically, emotionally against anything that even looks like milk. So believe it or not, I have never had any uh, uh, soy milk. Nut milk, um, any kind of these milks. Interesting. I, I don't need it. You know, once yeah. I gave up dairy in 1982, uh, I've never needed it. So I put together a cookbook. It's now an ebook, and the title is Chef. Chef is an acronym for cheap, the C, H for healthy, E for easy. And F for fat, free, and fast. Awesome. And that's my philosophy. I do not want to spend time in the kitchen. I'm not a gourmet. <laughs> and I tell people in this book, if it's got more than three or four ingredients or takes more time than to wash, cut up, and eat, forget it. Yeah. This book <laughs> is really simple recipes. And it, it hasn't changed in all these years. I still eat this way. I'm not a gourmet. Um, I do mostly raw because it's simple. It's easy. Yeah. I do most of my grocery shopping at a farmer's market, you know, all this fresh produce where I know the people that are growing the food. We've got a great big watercress farm, not too many miles from here. So oh, I get awesome. this. I know. And kale, I get papayas all year round, fresh, uh, delicious, non-GMO um, and this is the, a simple way to eat. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, I was going to tell you, Martin Rowe, the editor that I told you about, yeah. responsible for these books, called me uh, one day three years ago and said, you know, I got to thinking, we need you to write a book on running. <laughs> what had happened, and I didn't know this, when he was editing A Race for Life way back in 19, the late 1990s, he looked down at what he called his married man's belly. He was 45 at the time, <laughs> out of shape. He was vegan, but no exercise. And after reading and editing my book, he thought, 
I'm going to try running. <laughs> and guess what? It, he took to it like I took to it. That's He's awesome. run the New York City Marathon five times. In fact, he was running Boston Marathon the year of those bombs going off. Oh. He had crossed the finish line about a half hour before those explosions. Oh, that's crazy. I know, I know. But anyway, he took to running and loved it so much that I get another call from him. We need you to write another book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He said, I figured out you've been running for over 45 years now and still going strong. How about a book on lifelong running where you demolish these myths that persist, like running ruins your knees or you eat low impact because impact is bad. And I know that it's good. Yeah. It strengthens your bones. not Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, oh, boy, it takes so much time. <laughs> and because of all the work in this, these other books, I thought, oh, and he, he picked up my reluctance. And he said, well, okay, just think about it. Let me know. So the next morning, <laughs> I'm run and I'm thinking, well, oh, I could, t- I could say this and I could say that. And by the time I finished my hour's run, I was convinced. I called him up, Martin, okay, I'll do it. That's <laughs> so, awesome. Uh, we took those myths about running, and I proceeded to try to demolish each one of them. Well, now by this time, he had been running enough years, he thought, you know, this is a female, and she did it for entirely different reasons than I did. And I'm a young male relative to <laughs> me. And uh, so it was a counterpoint for each of my chapters. He wrote his own. Okay. Yeah. So that's lifelong running. That's awesome. I know. And so I've got a website, ruthheidrich.com, and I get emails. I'm spending probably as much time on this silly machine as I do my training. <laughs> <laughs> But I make sure the priority for the exercise is really up there. Um, I will rearrange my schedule so that uh, my goal is to do a mini triathlon every day, seven days a week. Uh, And it it can be short. You know, as long as I get out for a run and it's a minimum of 20 minutes, it counts. As long as it's 10 laps in the pool, it counts. And I always get an hour on the bike. I've gotten to do the bike training on a stationary bike. I've been hit twice. Oh, okay. Yeah, both of them were very serious fractures and concussions. And uh, oh dear. And riding the bike in Hawaii really is dangerous. And this was before texting. <laughs> oh, wow. And cell phones in the car. Drivers just don't see cyclists. And I've, I've had so many close calls that I do the stationary bike for an hour. Yeah. And besides leaving a puddle of sweat on the, the tile floor, I can also, <laughs> uh, it's aerobic exercise is really good for the brain. Yeah. That's where I get all these ideas of solutions to problems. And, and I have a radio show, uh, a fitness report that I do every Sunday night. And this is where all these ideas pop up on what I can say or, uh, new new books to write. Um, a lot of people have heard of the other Dr. Ruth, uh, the sex therapist. Yeah. And I'm thinking with what we now know 
about ED, you know, erectile dysfunction, is a dietary problem. It's a sign of atherosclerosis, right? It's not in the head. (laughs) It's not because you're not turned on enough. It's because those penile arteries are getting clogged. That's right. And if you change your diet, they will open up and you don't need Viagra and you don't need the other Dr. Ruth. Yeah. And, (laughs) And what I figured, you know, what works for males ought to work for females. And you look at the anatomy and they are similar enough yeah. that women who, you know, they've always talked about a, a Viagra for women. <laughs> you don't need it. No. You just need to change your diet. It's totally so, about blood flow. Exactly. Absolutely. And that, that I may write another book on just that and it probably sell more books than all my other <laughs> <laughs> There's just no slowing down for you, Ruth. <laughs> well, we haven't talked about my age, and if people did the math, they could figure out that I'm I'm now 81, and even though I still I see the signs of aging, there's no 100% stop the aging, um, the wrinkles, the gray hair, yeah. the slowing down. But that's kind of relative, though, right? It is. It is. There are a lot younger people that can't take care of themselves anymore. That's right, and in terms of the brain. You know, it doesn't do any good if you're healthy from the waist or the neck down. Yeah. It's the brain that really is who you are. Of course. Who we are. It's the ability to analyze, to think, to create, to have motivation, to have joy in your life. Yeah. And this diet, lifestyle, diet and exercise, aerobic and, and vegan, is what it takes to keep the brain healthy. Just like in all the other departments, circulation to the brain is important. Yeah. Of course, and, yeah. Yeah, and these foods, the, high, the colors of the rainbow, you know, all the different colored veggies and fruits are the antioxidants, the phytonutrients that keep the brain healthy. Yeah, they all have something to provide every, every color of the rainbow. Right, and there's supposed to be this great onslaught of Alzheimer's coming, this big tsunami of incidents of people because of the reaching the ages of 50 and 60 we're going to see all this alzheimer's and and we know that foods like curry curry powders or curry dishes yeah. which are served frequently in india and they have very low rates of alzheimer's yeah it's the curcumin and turmeric right yeah uh, it's not perfect because they do dairy yeah <laughs> so They could be a lot better, but in terms of being vegetarian, they they've got it. So any any step you can take towards less animal products and more plant foods, the better you're the better off you're gonna be, right? Right. However, you know what so many people say, Oh, I believe in moderation. In fact, I was talking to a cruise director last month and he I was trying to con oh, he wanted to do the Iron Man and I was wearing my Iron Man finisher shirt. Because it's showing off, you know, I always always wear a message. I can't wear just plain old clothes. I've got to advertise a race, a run to the sun, 35, 37 miles up the top of a mountain here in Hawaii. Um, All the different triathlons I've done. I've done New York City Marathon, Boston, Moscow Marathon. So I always wear a message because I'm promoting this lifestyle. Well, and what a what a star. To promote so it. I was telling him how to train for the Ironman, go vegan. And he yeah. said, oh, I could never do that. I believe moderation. 
And I said, David, moderation gives you moderate rates of death, moderate rates of, of heart disease, cancer. He said, oh, no, 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 as long as you don't overdo the animal products. And that's a mantra a lot of people use. Everything in moderation, the golden mean sort of thinking, it doesn't work with diet. No, it's, it's a rationalization to support bad habits. You're right in that the better you do, the better the result. But yeah. you can always get to the 100% and have the best result. And that's what I go for, the best. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, why settle for anything less? So I guess you've been doing this for a really long time. Have you found that like your friends and family have picked it up through osmosis or have people around you been like initially they weren't supportive? Did that change? Well, my granddaughter lives and works in Dallas because uh, we're a military family. Uh, everybody's spread out all over. When the kids get established somewhere, they don't want to leave. So Casey is in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> and uh, I've not ever really been close geographically because we're so far apart. So I don't see her all yeah. that often. But she knows about my diet and I've talked to her about it. Didn't make much of an imprint on her until I told her to go see Forks Over Knives. Okay. And because Grandma's in this movie, she took a <laughs> bunch of friends with her to the theater. And she told me afterwards, she said, I got so excited when I saw you on the stage, I jumped up and yelled, that's my grandma. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So she is pretty much uh, vegetarian. I'm not sure. Uh, her mother, my daughter, still think milk is really important. Skim oh, okay. milk. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like you can't be a prophet in your own hometown. Yeah. The people who don't know me give me a lot more credibility than friends and family. There are a few friends who say, oh, be careful. That's all she can talk about is diet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, when you've had such amazing results, it's, it's hard not to, right? Exactly. It's very hard not to. In fact, in the elevator this morning, there was a young woman. Uh, she had a backpack and uh, yoga pants and it looked like she's going to an exercise and she was eating a banana. I said, you know, that's the best possible breakfast you can have. And yeah. she said, yeah, I know. I said, I've been vegan for 34 years. I have not had a bit of animal products or fish or dairy in that long. And that's the best I can advice I can give you. Stick with the bananas and all other plant foods. Yeah. Then we came to our stop. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I wanted to, I didn't have my baseball cards with me. Uh, you know what baseball cards are, right? It's more than a business card. And on the back, it's got all their stats. Yeah. And somebody said to me, you ought to have your own baseball card as an athlete. <laughs> and I thought, what a great idea. So I have a finish line picture. In fact, on Facebook, I have uh, several people who have gotten my baseball card and they posted them. So you can find Oh, that's it. awesome. No, I thought I thought there was some sort of hidden meaning, but you're literally no. meaning like a baseball card. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, on the back, it has my birth date, February 21st, 1935, and my height and weight. 
I'm 5'7 and weigh 110 pounds and a uh, thousand medals and uh, oh, one of the top 10 fittest women in North America. They were all in their 20s and low 30s. And here I was 64. Wow. <laughs> and this was based on, you know, criteria. Yeah. And well, didn't you run a race before running a triathlon at one point? I've done three races in one weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And once I did two, and that was, yeah, um, there was a 5K race on this side of the island, and I, it started at 7 o'clock. So I did it, the 5K in 20 minutes, parked the car right near the finish line, jumped into the car. I already had my bike and everything in the trunk of the car, drove over the poly, and it's about a 20-minute drive Sunday morning. There wasn't a lot of traffic. And the triathlon started at 8 o'clock. Now, I had made arrangements with the race director. I said, this is what I'm going to do. And the plan is I should get there by about five minutes to eight. If by any chance I'm not there, could you possibly find an excuse to (laughs) delay the start until I get there? She said, don't worry about it. I won't start until you're here. That's just (gasps) incredible. I know. (laughs) So So the 5K was really your warm up. My warm up, and uh, you talk about excitement and adrenaline, and uh, and and just the fun of doing something like that. Yeah. Oh, what was even more fun? Uh, the next day, they always on the sports page they publish the the race results of the weekend's races. Yeah. And by chance, there was the race results of the five k. Ruth Heidrig age group uh, first place, and in the next column is the Windward Triathlon, Ruth Heidrich, first place, age group. The sports <laughs> editor is looking at this and scratching his head. He somehow gets my phone number. I'm answering the phone, and he said, you know, I can't believe what I'm reading right here. How could two races, both on Sunday morning, how can you get a first place in both of them? <laughs> and so I told him, he said, can you come down to the office? I want to do a story on you. That's awesome. So, of course, I talk about the diet. This is what enables me to do these kinds of things. Yeah. And like most of the articles, you know, the reporters are somewhat biased. And I don't know whether it's because their their uh, advertisers are like dairy companies and fast food, you know, yeah. McDonald's, Jack in the Box, and medical dairy that's got to play a part. In you don't it. see many ads for broccoli. None. <laughs> you do see oats now. I'm happy yeah. to see that. Oats, Quaker oats, you know, the best breakfast. So um, there, there is progress. It's just way too slow. Yeah. I mean, people are, are dying every day from disease, diet-related, uh, can be prevented, or if it's too late, can be reversed. Yeah. It's, it's really sad. So... I'm really happy that you're doing this, your part, mended paths to get the message out to, because you've got an audience very different from my audience. You're in Alberta and I'm in Honolulu and uh, together, you know, we reach more people. Hopefully we can get this message in front of enough people and at least, at least a small few can make changes and avoid that kind of outcome for themselves, right? Well, I like to challenge people. If you are smart enough, you will make the changes. Yeah. You know, the implication, (laughs) the reverse. (laughs) 
Well, yeah. <laughs> so show me. So you must have stayed in contact with Dr. McDougall as well throughout all this time. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, he has McDougall Adventures in uh, the tail end of January and part of February. He is going to be on Kauai, okay. you know, one of the other islands, yeah. for a week. And uh, we went last year. And I'm going again this 2017. So it's a week of three buffets a day, uh, adventures where you can do a zip line, you can do hiking, okay. you can do snorkeling. Um, people who have been to Kauai know how beautiful, they call it the Garden Island for good reason. It's just beautiful. The spouting horn, uh, it's a very natural uh where the waves come up through a hole in the rock and spout 20, 30 feet high. Oh, the Nepali cool. coast is so wild. There are no roads, no paths, no nothing. You can't get to it except by a very extremely vigorous hike. Hmm. And so we have a catamaran that takes you around to see the Nepali coast. So, yes, um, and in fact, when I get questions on my email, ruthheidrich at juno.com, if it's a medical question, I refer them to Dr. McDougall, and he is so good about helping people. Yeah, uh, you know, with something that's other than diet, I refer them to Dr. McDougall. Read his books. He has a webinar every Thursday at eleven o'clock Pacific Standard Time, and so it's a webinar. Just go to drmcdougall.com and look for a webinar, and for an hour you can hear questions and answers. He's going to be talking about high blood pressure, hypertension tomorrow morning. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that'll be a few weeks ago by the time this airs, but... And, yeah, and you can ask questions every Thursday. Okay. Every Thursday. And I've, yeah. I've noticed that with, like, the I call them the heavy hitter doctors, where, um, like, Dr. McDougall or Dr. Esselstein where yes. people get in contact with them and they're they're just available all the time like i i heard a story about dr gregor recently and how he was on a cruise and he was at uh at lunch or dinner or something like that and he still had his laptop out and they're just so committed to the cause that it's it's just incredible dr gregor was here last week oh really oh, last week yeah i had lunch with him on monday oh, you're lucky duck. uh he's, he's oh yeah <laughs> and he spoke to our vegetarian society of hawaii on tuesday he spoke to the tripler doctors that's where i had my surgery and okay. the oncologist said oh diet has nothing to do with breast cancer by the way he died of a heart attack at age 45 oh dear uh yeah so but at least the tripler doctors are willing to listen to michael gregor then on Thursday, he flew to Maui, and we have a small branch of the Vegetarian Society over there, spoke to that group, um, had almost as many people show up as in our Honolulu group, hmm. uh, which was over 200. Oh, wow. And Yeah. And so we really kept, oh, he did a talk at Castle Hospital, CME, Continuing Medical Credits. So we we, we made him work hard. That's awesome. We're bringing him out here. He's doing such great yeah. work. Yep. Nutritionfacts.org. I got to put a plug in for that. Nutritionfacts.org. And you can search for almost any medical condition you can think of. Yeah, and he's got great answers. There's lots of health topics where he's got in-depth videos and you can you can dig down and see the research that yeah. underlies his recommendations. It's It's incredible. 
Yeah. It's one of and my favorites. And the China study. Yeah, mine too. The China study, um, I ask uh, people, uh, I get stopped on the street still, uh, wherever I am about fork. You're, are you the one that's in that forks over knives? <laughs> and so I know it's getting around, but I will ask them because they've watched it. They usually are either leaning towards the right diet or are there already. And for those who are there already, I say, what did it for you? Yeah. Do you know how many people have said, I read the China study? It's amazing. Yeah. I, I just really realized the impact that the T. Colin Campbell's book had on people. So there are the, the like you say, the heavy duty doctors that are really helping. We need a lot more of them. We do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, but the the tide is changing. I feel like there's more and more people that are the information is easier to get in front of people nowadays with Netflix and and that kind of thing. Yep, yep, yeah. And tell people to watch. Go to forksoverknives.com and scroll all the way down to the trailer. And I'm in the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I've seen the yeah, movie they, several times, and I I was overwhelmed with your story i think i tear up every time i see it and it's it's just incredible like how how do how does everyone not know about this like that was yeah that was what now that's over 30 years ago right how is this not common knowledge yes yes absolutely the doctor is still saying oh diet has nothing to do with cancer or you can't reverse heart heart disease or oh boy yeah it really is. So, yep. well, thank you so much for taking the time and talking to us today. It's been incredible listening to your story. Well, it was a joy for me. I love telling people, hey, this is information that not only save your life, but enhance your life. Yeah. It's fun to do. <laughs> so, Yeah, it's, it's not like you just get to live for longer. You get to live for better you don't suffer. You you yeah. aren't deprived of anything. In fact, it opens up the opportunities for really delicious food. Your taste buds get cleaned out, and they taste the fruits and veggies. And you know, you know now this this is the way we should always eat. Absolutely. So, well, you would have missed the Deer Park if you if you weren't yeah. eating a vegan diet. <laughs> That's right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again so much. You're very welcome. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the Mend It Paths podcast at www.menditpaths.com. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Let's share Dr. Ruth's story with the world. See you all next time. Visit menditpaths.com and get back to bed now.